You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thank you as always for joining us. A lot going on this week as always. Importantly, there's an attack on America from the Chinese through this outrageous penetration of our airspace uh, by what is believed to be a surveillance balloon. I'll talk about that and the Biden administration's failing response to it. Uh, New court action and a demand for action on the Biden Senate records that likely contain even more classified information he has no business uh, having. Uh, Plus, we have developments in the efforts for accountability in the House of Representatives, by the House of Representatives, for the House of Representatives, with the removal of Elon Omar uh, from the Foreign Relations Committee. I'll respond to that. And plus, we've got some good news. The Biden administration was playing games with internal security, making our airlines less safe in order to uh, handle the crisis on the border caused by his policies, and we've got important developments and an explainer as to what went on there. Uh, First up is the urgent matter of an ongoing attack on the sovereignty and national security of uh, the United States of America, our homeland, by the Chinese communists, and the failure of the Biden administration to address this attack with any seriousness or urgency. So as of now, according to the Biden Pentagon and various reports. There's a balloon over the continental United States. The last I read, it was somewhere over the center of the nation. Uh, it had a, supposedly been over sensitive areas in the north, uh, north central part of the United States. I guess it was Montana. And <laughs> no one knows why it's there. Um, the, presu- the, the assumption is that it's surveilling. It's a spy uh, craft. And uh, our national security is put at risk. And obviously, you know, we're just assuming the payload is neutral in that respect and doesn't have the ability to do some significant damage, whether it be EMP or, um, you know, the release of a pathogen or maybe a test run for all of that. And still, as I go, as we go to tape today, uh, that balloon is allowed to uh, basically move unmolested through our airspace. Now, does that sound acceptable acceptable to you? Does that sound right to you? Now, allegedly, the Biden administration says, well, they can't shoot this balloon down because, you know, the payload is too big or they're afraid of the damage on the ground. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. First of all, why was it even allowed to enter our airspace? Secondly, Are you telling me in this day and age there are no contingencies for this type of operation or this type of challenge? Now, based on what I'm seeing, it's very interesting to see. You know, we presume that because it's a balloon, the technology or the significance in terms of national security of the penetration isn't important. Actually, it's just the opposite. Balloons, because of the advances in technology, are uh, extremely valuable Uh, um, platforms for monitoring and spying on and maybe doing other nefarious things uh, for countries you're interested in in terms of intelligence. Uh, Because a satellite typically, you know, they pass over an area of interest 
and there's a limited time they're over the area, so they have to have another satellite pass over to maintain uh, continuous coverage in any, uh, in any measurable way. With a balloon, the balloon, practically speaking, can stay over an area for a longer period of time and gather intelligence in a more straightforward, frankly, cheaper manner. And in this case, we have the Chinese essentially admit it's theirs, pretending it's some sort of meteorological civilian aircraft that accidentally came our way. No one really believes that, nor should they. And the Biden administration certainly, uh, by all accounts, doesn't believe it. But certainly they're not taking any action. And why aren't they taking any action? To me, this is a sad day for America. It's concerning. It's disturbing in the sense that we are kind of like this hapless giant, unable to do anything in the face of this rather obvious provocation, this brazen attack on our sovereignty, and the failure and the exposure of our weakness in the face of this. And the weakness, it's not, uh, not a, in my view, a technological or military weakness, it's political weakness. This is the decision by our military leadership with the uh, approval, presumably, of President Biden, who's commander-in-chief, not to do anything to protect our homeland from this ongoing attack. I mean, if this was a Chinese aircraft, would we just let it fly around for as long as it wanted before it left our airspace? If it were a drone, would we let it fly around for as long as, as long as it could stay up before it left our airspace? Of course not. We'd take it down. And certainly we'd have plans to take it down with an effort to minimize the potential risks to human life on the ground. And if I were the president, I would tell the military, you got to take care of this within hours. You got to do it. This is unacceptable. And frankly, it's already too late because the damage to our reputation has been done. Our enemies now know a, a significant weakness, arguably, uh, you know, I don't know enough about the secret capabilities of the United States defense, the defense system uh, in terms of uh, guarding against this type of intrusion, but certainly they've been exposed. You know, the presumption has to be by our enemies, this is a way uh, to uh, penetrate our airspace. And maybe once you're here, nothing's going to be done. I mean, we're all at risk as a result. And we are at risk at this moment Every second this, this balloon it remains aloft is, uh, increases the risk to every one of our lives. China obviously is no friend of ours. Uh, they are targeting us in this brazen way. And do you think they're doing it because they're, they're, uh, they're going to follow up with a plate of cookies? Of course not. Of course not. And let me suggest that one of the reasons the Chinese sent this balloon over and really are giving us the, the you know, thumbing their noses at us uh, is because Joe Biden is compromised by Hunter's and his business dealings as vice president and then during his private sector experience and who knows what's going on now with the Chinese government. Judicial Watch uncovered, for instance, that Hunter Biden traveled to China at least five times on Air Force Two with Joe Biden. And we know separately, one of those visits, uh, Joe and Hunter were involved in a meeting together with one of Hunter's business associates or um, wannabe business associates. 
And then after President Biden uh, was, um, you know, left office as vice president during the period of the Trump administration, there were these business efforts to uh, uh, come to deals with uh, Chinese business interests, including uh, one of China's biggest energy um, operations. And that's where the 10% for the big guy comes in, that supposedly Joe Biden was the big guy who was going to benefit in a significant way and in a secret way from this, uh, certainly from a, from a national security perspective, problematic effort by the Biden clan to uh, translate Biden's public service, or maybe it was uh, something other than public service, uh, into uh, personal profit after he left. And as I said, the evidence is this was happening while he was vice president. Off, uh, Hunter Biden's business partners and operators were working hand in glove with uh, Joe Biden's uh, vice president's office and you know, all sorts of other uh, skullduggerous activity while he was vice president. And to the degree it involved China, he's been compromised. To the degree it involved Russia, he's been compromised. And certainly one of the calculations that Putin made makes sense when he was deciding whether to invade Ukraine is, well, who's going to be objecting? What, what, who, what is especially the United States going to do? And I guarantee you, he thinks Biden is weak. Certainly be the evidence of his, his uh, mental challenges, his cognitive challenges. But more importantly, he's compromised. And he's been compromised because of his relationships through his son with Russia and Burisma, etc. So he's thinking, you know what? Biden is controllable. Or I suspect because of his weaknesses, his corruption and otherwise, this is something I can push on and I'm not going to get the sort of uh, pushback I would typically get from another president of the United States. And I think he probably called it correctly, certainly at least for the initial part of the invasion when uh, the Biden administration was seemingly willing uh, to have the Ukrainians um, cave in completely uh, to the Russian invaders. Same goes for China. When China is making calculations uh, and, and looking at the short-term and long-term and medium-term ballgame, why would they not uh, factor into their calculus whether or not Joe's been compromised? And Joe knowing he's been compromised. It's one thing to think, well, you know, he's corrupt, therefore he's a different type of president, and uh, we have more opportunities with someone like him. But also, he's been compromised by these folks making the decision. So Joe knows, the Chinese know, he's on the take. Or so it's been alleged quite credibly. So you've got Russia, you've got China. So what are some of the decisions China, are making, China is making because of this? I would submit sending balloons in a brazen, provocative way into U.S. territory. And you know, I'm not naive. This isn't the first time it's probably happened. But in this case, the U.S. government obviously was forced to disclose this. I'm just making a lot of presumptions because I guess based on reports, the balloon was seen by the civilian population. Uh, folks in airplanes and commercial pilots and such. But so when it's exposed, they still don't know what to do. I, mean, I just can't believe they don't know what to do. So anyway, so the Chinese do this. I think 
uh, our compromised, corrupt political system with Joe Biden at the head encourages uh, this type of brazen uh, testing of our will and our political um, spine. And it shows that we're weak, we're hapless. And uh, I, I kind of think of the Ottoman Empire. It used to be called the sick man of Europe. Is the United States the sick man of the West in terms of our, our ability to defend our own homeland from this ongoing attack? I mean, if you see this video and nothing's been done about this balloon, heads should roll in terms of people being removed from military command and significant and urgent hearings. And this is something I think, even based on at least the initial responses, uh, Democrats are going to be furious about. There's no excuse for this. And I tell you, I see our military haplessness in the face of this from the leadership. And I just see politicized generals who's spending too much time uh, abusing their personnel with vaccine mandates, uh, trying to propagandize and brainwash uh, their rising leadership, the cadets and, and midshipmen, et cetera, and the various military academies. We just filed a lawsuit, for instance, against the uh, Defense Department for documents about what we know to be CRT propagandizing on our cadets at the U.S. Air Force Academy. So forgive me when I see a top Air Force general telling Americans, well, they can't, they don't need to know where this balloon is. They, I guess we can, they can just look up at the sky to see if it's above their heads. I mean, this is like, this is crazy town. I mean, is it any surprise that our military leadership that is so infatuated with politicizing and engaging in social engineering, targeting our, 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 our men and women in uniform, uh, when push comes to shove, are, f frankly don't know what to say or do in the face of almost a 19th century attack in terms of essentially the technology on the United States homeland. Inexcusable. Inexcusable. And believe me, Judicial Watch is going to investigate the heck out of this. We had FOIAs that went out immediately into, in response to this attack. We're going to find out what went on, what's gone on previously, and what other risks we're facing as a result of this haplessness from this, not only the Biden administration, but our defense establishment. Also this week, we had more developments in the ongoing saga of uh, the classified document issue as it relates to former and current presidents and vice presidents. Now, again, to go back through, uh, to go back to the beginning, uh, the Biden administration in an unprecedented and abusive fashion raided the home of Donald Trump. First time in American history anything like that has happened, allegedly to uncover and get classified records that he may have been storing in his home in Mar-a-Lago. Now, the legal issue is whether any records that he had with him were actually classified, even though they were more classified. And as Judicial Watch has pointed out, because we were litigating this issue, Judicial Watch has over 30 years, or nearly 30 years, I think it's fair to say, in litigating federal government records issues, especially issues as it relates to White House documents. You know, I began working at Judicial Watch 
I was just telling my colleagues here way back in 1998, and I remember one of the first legal fights that you know Judicial Watch was engaged in, at least when I first started here, was with the Clinton White House about records and whether we could gain access to White House records and the nature of them and executive privilege concerns and such. So I mean, we, we've been fighting this longer than many of you have been alive. And on top of that, uh, we had a specific lawsuit over the Clinton sock drawer tapes, as, how, as the case has become famously known. And that was an author who had recorded Bill Clinton uh, in interviews, but also in making phone calls and basically engaging in the act of being president, talking to a foreign leader, at least one foreign leader, talking to members of Congress, all presidential activities, the recordations of which typically would be presidential records. And the recordation of a phone call with a foreign leader typically would be a classified record. And we saw that and said, well, the archives, aren't you supposed to get these records? He's gone. Get him. The report are he has them in his sock drawer or kept them there. And the archives said, no, we don't have to get them. The Justice Department said, no, they don't have to get them. A federal court judge in the preeminent case on the issue of presidential records said, no, the president has the right to decide what are presidential records and what are classified records. And frankly, no one can second guess them. And the least any, and certainly not the archives, whose only job is to maintain the records. They're not some sort of inspector Javert who gets to go out there and start collecting records because they think a president might have them and, and hounding them. The Justice Department told the court in our case, if a president has records after he leaves office, they're presumptively personal. And the court said the Presidential Records Act, there's no other way to interpret it than to provide um, deference to the president as deciding whether or not he keeps records or what he takes with them, essentially. And under the Presidential Records Act, the vice president, to bring it forward, has the same sorts of power. So, you know, despite what you might hear from some folks who uh, uh, quite fairly question, you know, the, uh, uh, the hypocrisy of the Biden administration here, we're being consistent. Vice President Biden at the time had the same power under the law President Trump did to take records with him under the Presidential Records Act because those records would necessarily include classified records. So it's a little more complex than some are making it out to be. But there is no doubt that records from his time in the Senate that are classified aren't protected by anything we're talking about here. And that to me is the most significant risk for, for Biden. But of course, you know, the other risk is that his Justice Department changed all the rules. You know, I told you what their prior position was to protect Bill, but they threw out the, they threw out the rule book to target Trump. And as a result, they ensnared Biden. Now I see reports that Pence had to search his home and he found some classified records and that the FBI will search. And then of course there was another FBI search, I think over the last weekend, at least it was reported over the weekend, in his home in um, Wilmington and then in his beach home so subsequently, that's what I read. And of course, Biden still got special treatment that Trump didn't get. Remember, Trump said to the FBI DOJ officials who visited his home, he said, you know, you're, you're free to look at, you know, look at these records. His people said, look at these records if you want to look through them. And they said, no, no, no. And then they raided his home and they kept all the lawyers out. And when it, but when it came to Biden, 
No raid. Certainly the FBI showed up, and I guess there was a threat of subpoena, but there was no subpoena. There's no grand jury. And they're slow walking the search for and disclosures of those searches of classified information. Remember, this is the, the Biden administration and his team is engaged in the modified limited hangout approach to disclosures here. And go back and look at look up, have a little fun history uh, a jog on, on the internet by looking up the basis or the phrase modified limited hangout. It goes back to the Nixon era. You know, just you release enough, it's bad news, but there's always more bad news. You don't want to release it all at once, and yet it's the limited hangout. And that's what's going on here, a very Nixonian approach by the Biden administration. So as I highlighted, the issue is the, um, I, I think the most significant issue is the uh, records that Biden has up in the Senate, or from his Senate days up in Delaware. Uh, he came to a secret deal with the University of Delaware uh, to maintain and house his records, and he's hiding them from the American people. Uh, the deal allegedly re uh, requires the University of Delaware to keep the record secret until at least two years after he leaves political office. So that means, for practical purposes, we won't see if this deal is followed. And for instance, President Biden is reelected uh, records until what's today? Today is the 20. Uh, we're in 2023, 24, 28, 2030. That's when we're going to have no more carbon in the world, right? Thanks to all these electric vehicles, and we'll have the Senate records. How do you think that's going to turn out? Well, on either case, I get distracted, right? So, um, needless to say, Judicial Watch is unsatisfied with that and has been dissatisfied. And uh, Judicial Watch and the Daily Caller News Foundation has been suing since 2020, nearly three years, for these records. We not only want the records, uh, but we also want the secret deal that created this, this scheme to keep this information away from the American people. And the University of Delaware is partially and significantly funded by uh, state tax dollars there, and we think this open records law applies, and so we've been fighting uh, for those records. And why is this important, or it, as even more important than it was, let's say, two months ago? Because now, as a result of these searches, it turns out Biden had classified records from his days in the Senate. And so the presumption is, if he had classified records from his days in the Senate, in his you know, glove box, in his little Corvette, in his locked garage, I'm, I'm making fun, but he obviously had those records in his home there, up in Delaware, why wouldn't there be classified records up in uh, the University of Delaware? Why isn't the FBI raiding? And so that's something we want to know. And we're not going to wait for Congress. We're not going to wait for the FBI. We've been pushing strongly and, and directly in the courts with some limited success, losing some, winning some, to try to kind of pry loose the information in order to pry loose the documents uh, about uh, Biden's Senate career. And as I've highlighted from the beginning about this case, Joe Biden was on the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee. And Biden boasted of that. He talked about how he knew Putin or met Putin back when he was a senator. And I presume as head of the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee, I mean, you may not know this about Congress, certainly the Senate Foreign Affairs Committee or the Foreign Affairs Committee, they, it's, people like getting on committees like that because they get to travel on your dime to foreign countries to investigate foreign affairs. 
Now, I'm not saying all of that is a waste, but you can imagine it's uh, probably not an awful trip they're taking when they go to abroad to investigate uh, many of these places for the American people. Uh, so as a result, they have to be briefed on sensitive topics uh, that uh, they're, they're, even though the, the president represents us in foreign affairs, uh, as you know, the senators and congressmen when they travel necessarily touch base with the administration and they're, you know, they're endeavoring typically to speak as one voice. So, you know, they kind of have to know what's going on and that involves classified briefings and, and access to those materials. So that's where Biden likely gained access to classified information. And I'm not quite sure what other committees he served on when he was in the Senate, uh, but certainly the Foreign Affairs Committee kind of uh, screams out to me as one uh, through which he would have gained access to classified records. Uh, I was sp speaking to someone, a reporter, and the reporter was thinking that maybe, and he didn't know for sure, but his understanding of the issue was that maybe the records weren't necessarily classified you know, per se in the sense that they were marked classified, but his days, uh, his records from his days as vice president that were classified were classified upon review. So it's a record that's not marked as classified, but when you're reviewing it and someone who knows classified versus unclassified um, material, when they see it, so, oh no, this is classified. This is based off a classified record. This is a note related to a classified record. He was reading a document. He was taking notes from a, a record or a briefing, and the notes should never have been removed from the United States Senate. So no matter how you slice it, whether they are documents that were marked classified or documents that were unmarked as classified, that necessarily someone like either then-Senator Biden should have known or others knew uh, were classified. And that's, that's what the story is. And are there more records like that up in Delaware? Why hasn't the FBI been up there? I was talking to a reporter, or um, I was interviewing with our friend, uh, what was it? was it Vince, Vince Connellys. I don't know if I talked about this on the last update. I feel like I did. Well, I'm going to talk about it again, because you probably didn't see the last update or don't remember the fact I talked about it. Uh, and, I, and I made a bet, you know, a rhetorical bet. I said, I bet the FBI, it's not a matter of if, but when the FBI is going to search the University of Delaware records. And... Um, and Vince smartly rejoined, uh, rejoined that, uh, I tell you what, I, I'm betting they already have and we'll find out about it soon. So I think that's a fair analysis as well. So we'll see what happens there. But, you know, we're pushing for the records. We have this lawsuit. Uh, the government doesn't want to give us access to the Senate records at this time. One of the issues is that whether the government funding is being used to maintain the Senate records. And one of the ways we can figure that out and maybe break through that a current uh, hurdle is what the deal is and how it was being how the records are being maintained and and whether that deal and the maintenance of those records or the deal reflects how those records are being maintained whether with with or without private versus government funds because the theory is if it's government funds are being used to maintain these records then we should gain access to them and I'm greatly simplifying it mostly because I'm not a lawyer and I only understand it in a simple way uh, but I think I'm getting it right. And uh, just so that you know, we're, we just filed uh, because this, what's interesting here is the University of Delaware is desperate to avoid disclosing the nature of the agreement and the nature of the funding of, where, uh, of, of the maintenance of the Senate records for Joe Biden.
And I'm trying to describe, let me just summarize this in an easy way. The court at the lower level said, just took at face value that, oh, they say they're, they're not funding any record. They're not, they're not funding it. And we said, well, they didn't provide any evidence to the court for which they could, the court could make a reliable decision. So we appealed it. And the court at the, at the appellate level said, the Judicial Watch is right. This is a Delaware. This is Biden's home state. You know, you need to go back and get more information from the university as to how this is funded, a little bit more elucidation. And so that happened. And they came back again with a, a, basically a declaration by an official that said, well, you know, I talked to the budget person. And he said, no, it's only private funding. Well, where are the records? What do you mean? Did you look at the budget? Did you look at the, quote, the receipts? And again, the lower court just took that hook, line, and sinker, we think, inappropriately. And so we appealed again, and we're saying, look, we know we've been through this again. Why can't, can we just question someone? And so that's where we are. We're arguing this case before the appellate court, demanding for court, I shouldn't say demand, you're asking a court, uh, for testimony on that secret university deal with Joe Biden to hide Senate records. And I forgive me for the detail here, but you know, this is what we have to deal with at Judicial Watch. You know, I get to, you know, come on and say, oh, we got these documents. Well, a lot of, a lot of heavy lifting goes into getting those documents, whatever they are. It's federal litigation, fighting, in the case of Delaware, it's literally years of litigation to argue whether they're gonna even tell us information about what they're up to with this secret deal and scheme. And now the public interest is heightened because of the secret nature of not only Biden's records, but the idea that there's classified records there. So there's even increased public interest. And I don't know if we can bring that to the attention of the court in this context, but I'm sure the court generally is aware of it. So we've got this fight ongoing. But separately, our lawyer, and this is what we just, this is from our most recent filing. Despite FOIA's acknowledgement that, quote, public entities as instruments of government should not have the power to decide what is good for the public to know, over the multi-year course of this FOIA proceeding, the university's efforts to satisfy its statutory burden of proof have been parceled out piecemeal in minuscule increments and only in response to court orders entered after briefing by appellants, Judicial Watch and the Daily Caller News Foundation. When the shortcomings of the university's efforts were noted in briefing, the university calls foul. The university's umbrage at these proceedings is misplaced. To date, the FOIA coordinator's efforts and her recollection of what steps she took remains untested by cross-examination. We have every right to challenge what they believe has been a lackluster, uh, what we believe has been a lackluster effort by the university to satisfy its statutory burden. So what they're saying is, how dare Judicial Watch question uh, the uh, assurances of this official that there are no uh, public financing of this operation. And we're saying, well, let's, you know, there are certain standards of proof that have to be met. We have every right to raise questions about whether that, those standards have been met. And so that we're, that this is a significant fight. You know, and I, I tell you, credit to the Daily Caller News Foundation, a really heroic journalist group here in the United States, in, in D.C., We've worked with them on a number of cases. But where's the rest of the media on this? 
you know, I said we, we, we began suing in 2020. We probably, I don't remember when we first started asking for the records, but probably in the beginning of 2020, if not. Um, yeah, so if we started suing July 2020, we were suing even before Biden won. I mean, that's my, that, that shows you how prescient we are. You know, we, we, we know uh, where to look for information, especially the president at the time, you know, then, then candidate Biden, extolling his experience as a senator. We're like, well, where are the records and why won't you release them? And, and in addition to the foreign policy issue, he had these scandal issues related to Tara Reid and other allegations of harassment potentially that might be referenced in these records. So there's a lot, there are many reasons uh, to get a, gain access to these records. And obviously the other reason now is that they could have classified records and certainly law enforcement uh, needs to take a look. Because as I said earlier, there's no out here. He's not... These aren't records protected as a result of his being president or he had a right to him because he was vice president. There's no arguments that, you know, we've we've highlighted as it relates to Trump and, frankly, some of the vice president's records or then then president, vice president Biden's records. So our lawyer in this matter up in Delaware, he separately wasn't it wasn't on behalf of us, but he separately sent a letter intended for House leadership encouraging them to follow Judicial Watch's lead and the Daily Caller Foundation's lead and get a hold of these records immediately. And I'm going to quote a little bit from uh, Mr. Cotillia's uh, letter. Ted Cotillia is our lawyer up in Delaware. Based on what we have learned, there are 1,850 boxes of documents and 415 gigabytes of electronic records. To place this in perspective, we have described the amount of boxes alone as filling approximately two tractor trailer trucks. So those are, that's how much, uh, that's, that's the quantity of uh, Senate records that Biden has hidden away, squirreled away up there in the University of Delaware. Where are the funds coming from to house and archive the Biden records? We have heard rumors that comments on a draft of the gift agreement may have been located on the Hunter Biden laptop, raising further questions. Why would Hunter Biden be commenting on the donation of the Biden records and what was his role with respect to the donation? Right? Fair question. In our view, the United States House of Representatives would have the power to subpoena all these documents, unlike an effort to obtain public disclosure of documents under FOIA. A subpoena would have the power to compel the release of these documents. We believe that given President Biden's alleged mishandling of documents, it is imperative for the House to review the Biden records to determine that no classified materials are there, especially given the fact that we don't even know if the person or persons reviewing these documents have security clearance. Think about that. Who in Delaware at the university has a security clearance to review these records? You know, the presumption is there has to be more classified records there if you're being safe, right? The House should also be interested and who has funded what is obviously a substantial donation. With the gift agreement out of reach, there remains an unanswered concern, or this remains an unanswered concern. Finally, the House should also have particular interest in who has had access to the Biden documents. Even if we were able to obtain access to the Biden records, we have no idea if there's ever, if there have been documents removed during the course of our Delaware litigation. Great letter. And as our client mentions in, in this release, the University of Delaware's conduct through this case totally reeks. The American people have a right 
to know what's in President Biden's Senate records and why the university is stonewalling our legitimate records request. So says the Daily Caller News Foundation managing editor, Michael Bastish. And as I commented, Congress should follow Judicial Watch's lead and immediately move to subpoena, secure, and examine the trove of secret Biden Senate records being held in the University of Delaware. Judicial Watch, in the meantime, will continue fighting in court to overcome the, universe, the university's desperate secrecy over its deal with Biden to keep these secret records away from the American people. So Judicial Watch is fighting in court right now for access to the Senate records, and we're encouraging, finally, Congress to follow our lead, you know, and, and sometimes they do, in getting access to this. You know, I know sometimes Congress asks, well, how can Judicial Watch get these records when Congress can't? It's because we sue for them in court. Congress rarely does. And Republicans in Congress, even more so. Uh, so I'm hoping the new Republican majority in the House is newly emboldened as a result of Judicial Watch's leadership and the urgency of the corruption of Joe Biden to try to get to the bottom of this scandal. So stay tuned. We'll report back as information uh, comes up. So to be clear, you know, this, this whole issue began with this abuse of Trump, and it has led quickly to even more disclosures about additional criminal activity by Joe Biden. So in many ways, this is quite an extraordinary uh, series of events over the last several months, but it's, it's really quite typical of the deep state uh, left-wing abuse of Trump uh, using the rule of law or misusing uh, the tools of law, frankly, to target President Trump. Usually what they're accusing him of, they've done worse in spades. And where he's actually innocent, they're guilty. We saw that with Russia, with Hillary, and the Obama administration working with Russians to target Trump while accusing him of improperly working with Russians. And now we know that he's being accused falsely based on law and precedent and prior Justice Department positions of mishandling documents while in fact Joe Biden, in the least from his days as a senator, has been caught red-handed mishandling classified records and yet he's still being protected. So this scandal continues, and Judicial Watch, again, is in the center of the effort to disclose it, or at the tip of the spear in the effort to disclose it. You know, one of the other ways Judicial Watch uh, uncovers and exposes and stops government corruption is through really straightforward journalism. In many ways, we're a leading journalist um, organization, and we do more significant investigative journalism and accountability journalism than much of the legacy media. It's not to say the left media complex doesn't do journalism now again that is not that is interesting and valuable. Of course they do. You know, they back into it now and again. Uh, but in terms of what the way Washington really works, a uh, few do more than Judicial Watch. And along those lines, and Judicial Watch has been in the lead in exposing the Biden border crisis and the ripple effects it has had in making us all less safe in areas that you might not uh, initially uh, consider or understand. And one of those areas is the use of federal air marshals to protect our planes from security and terrorist threats. After 9-11, obviously, the air marshal service was significantly bolstered in order to provide security on airplanes. So essentially, air marshals are, are there on the planes and on, flight, uh, on flights and routes 
that uh, their intelligence shows or simply because of their popularity and, and, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm guessing there are a lot more folks, uh, air marshals on flights between D.C. and certain locations than there are between, you know, two other different locations in the United States. So, I, you know, I don't need to explain to you how and why these air marshals might be deployed on planes uh, to secretly ride them in order to be present in case something goes south in terms of a threat, in terms of a hijacking or something else. So what's happened that Judicial Watch uncovered is that these federal air marshals, in response to the border crisis, it became all hands on deck. And so they took them away from securing our flights and placed them at the border. And as we highlighted in uh, one of our stories about this on our Corruption Chronicles blog, which is uh, highlighted and reported uh, pretty much everything I'm talking about here, essentially they were warming, we had federal air marshals being tasked with warming up sandwiches for illegal aliens um, that were essentially being ushered in uh, by the Biden administration while planes and routes were left unprotected that were at risk for being targeted by terrorists. It's like taking a cop away from watching a bank to hand out coffee on the corner to the homeless. Doesn't mean you don't want to help the homeless. It means the bank is unsecured. And the bad guys know that almost immediately. And so the air marshals uh, organization, um, the Air Marshal National Council, uh, was, was, you know, stepped up to highlight this. Because you can imagine, you know, these, these are law enforcement guys and gals, and they want to do their jobs. And their jobs are to protect planes, not to do social work on the border. And uh, we had highlighted this issue repeatedly in several pieces, most recently, uh, beginning in January. Uh, we had uncovered that Al-Qaeda was planning plane attacks using technique, new techniques and tactics. And even as this intelligence is being disseminated, uh, our air marshals were being deployed elsewhere. So we had intelligence detecting increased risks to our airplanes and we're taking away the security to man help Biden essentially process illegal aliens in violation of his constitutional oath. And that's the crisis we're having. I mean, so we're all worried about this Chinese balloon, rightly so, but my gosh, it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the collapse of our national security uh, and, and public safety infrastructure under this administration. This is how we opened up that story. While the nation's federal air marshals are busy on the Mexican border providing illegal immigrants with welfare checks, transportation, and other basic services, Al-Qaeda is planning attacks in the U.S. involving planes, according to high-level Department of Homeland Security sources. Judicial Watch obtained from government sources a copy of the new intelligence alert, which is delivered on December 31, 2022. The caption of the widely circulated warning reads, Al-Qaeda says upcoming attacks on U.S., possibly involving planes, will use new techniques and tactics. So we explain this issue as I've explained it to you in the course of this story. And I think Fox News picked it up. Our, our friends at the Air Marshal National Council, which represents thousands of federal air marshals nationwide, uh, accused uh, TSA Administrator 
David uh, Pekoski and, and the Federal Air Marshal Director Terrell Stevenson of violating federal law and overstepping their authority by assigning air marshals to assist the U.S. Air Marshal, the U.S. Border Patrol with the illegal immigration crisis. And they filed a formal complaint with the Department of Homeland Security's Inspector General. Uh, so uh, they, they've been pushing hard on this as well. And I know they're grateful for Judicial Watch's efforts also to expose what's going on, not only their work, but our separate investigation as to what's going on with this. And we won. We won. Our friends at the Air Marshal Council, National Council, and Judicial Watch won. This is the new headline. Department of Homeland Security stops sending air marshals on migrant welfare missions along Mexican border. They stopped it. These law enforcement personnel who are prepared to lay down their lives for us are back on their real jobs, protecting our planes from being hijacked in this age of terrorism. Thanks to pressure from the Air Marshal National Council and Judicial Watch's reporting, the Biden administration will stop sending federal air marshals to the Mexican border to provide illegal immigrants with welfare checks, as I said, transportation, and other basic services. This reckless practice had left aircraft at risk by sending 150 to 200 federal air marshals monthly to the southern border to help deal with the surge in, quote, irregular migration. Judicial Watch was the first to report on the deployments in late October of 2022 when the Department of Homeland Security sent an electronic memorandum to the highly skilled law enforcement officers informing them of, their assi of the assignments, which consisted of 21-day rotations that could be extended up to 120 days. We talk about chaos. It's like taking an air, a, a federal marshal from a courthouse and telling them they had to go down to the border. And it stopped. So as I said, we've been pushing this out. And what happened is, you know, obviously, Congress took notice. I think Fox News was covering this story as well. And the Air Marshal National Council was just doing great uh, public educational work. And what happened was a uh, memo dispersed a few weeks ago uh, says that all future deployments to the southwest border have been suspended until further notice. Huge victory. So they're going to continue. You know, the, the current wave was going to be sent home. Uh, beginning or had been sent home on ja as of January 27th and 28th. And the next wave that was scheduled to go in, they're done. They don't have to go in. The missive directs the federal air marshals to cancel travel and informs officers that hotel and car rental reservations will be canceled by the agency. That's how you know it's not happening because your car isn't going to be there uh, when you get to the airport and your plane won't be there as well. No ticket. Air marshals nationwide are thrilled that they can return to their critical mission of securing the nation's transportation system. And David Lando, president of the Air Marshal National Council, said, it looks like we won. We didn't win. You won. Because as an American citizen or maybe even an alien resident who's allowed to be here legally, or dare I say it, those of you who are illegal aliens, you frankly all win because now there are American air marshals, federal air marshals who are doing their jobs and protecting all of us on the planes that fly here in the United States from the increased terrorist threat. Great victory. It's a great victory for Judicial Watch. We won. We're safer now and we forced the Biden administration to back off this reckless policy 
that we're transferring highly trained law enforcement professionals and turning them into uh, you know, folks who essentially were handing out soup on the border and processing illegal aliens. My gosh. Now, I think there needs to be more accountability there, and there needs to be some firings and other activity to figure out why this took place to begin with. But we're going to take this victory in the meantime and, and uh, bless our stars that this has happened. So some great work there by my colleague Arle Irene Garcia, who uh, is the, uh, uh, the person behind the blog, uh, our Corruption Chronicles, and of course my colleagues in the investigative department who have advanced this story as well working with her. So some great work by the Judicial Watch team to, to pretend and defend America along with our friends at the National Air Marshal Council or the Air Marshal National Council. So great work there. So another big accountability news, the House of Representatives, at least the majority of the House, voted to remove uh, Congressman Elon Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee over comments she made that virtually no one defends other than the lunatic left uh, that is fundamentally anti-Semitic. Uh, communism and Marxism has a long history of anti-Semitism uh, that the major media uh, often denies and tries to hide. And Ilan Omar, being the radical extremist and leftist she is, uh, has made a series of anti-Semitic comments and none, in my view, that were accidental or certainly no knowledgeable person or anyone who was a public official uh, has any excuse in, uh, in believing wouldn't be uh, seen as being anti-Semitic. And uh, so now she's off the Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, so that's a great victory, and I commend the House uh, Republicans and those who voted for it. Obviously, none of the Democrats voted for it. Uh, but the question is, is it enough accountability? Uh, Judicial Watch, a few years ago, filed an ethics complaint against Ms. Omar over uh, the allegations of marriage fraud, income tax abuse, I think it was some campaign finance fraud, uh, immigration fraud, student loan fraud, uh, you name it as it relates to the issue about who she married and whether it was her brother and whether there was like a sham marriage for immigration purposes and her answers to the questions about that, even her liberal hometown newspaper wasn't terribly convinced, so we thought there was enough there to ask these questions, serious questions. And of course, no one really wants to talk about it. And I, um, for, I think, self-evident reasons, the Republicans didn't want to uh, raise that issue in this context, but I think it's something that's worth pursuing. And my question is, is the Ethics Committee finally going to pursue this issue? And I think given the nature of the allegations here, uh, that it should be pursued and that she should be denied access to any committee until it's a res there's a resolution. Frankly, there's enough for a federal criminal investigation of what Ilan Omar did. But I tell you, I have to, I have to hand it to uh, the new House majority for taking, however uh, small the steps, uh, to uh, guess, bring some accountability back for the misconduct and abuse related to uh, some of those left-wing Democrats who abused their offices uh, to uh, achieve political ends. And I mean, uh, as I talked about last week, and it's worth uh, sharing again in the context of the Omar, of the Omar move, uh, Congressman Schiff and Congressman Swalwell, who were directly removed from the Select Committee on Intelligence uh, by uh, Speaker McCarthy. And uh, Schiff and Swalwell, Swalwell, of course, has been compromised, irredeemably so, and his judgment 
uh, is, con you know, in my view, in the least his judgment in his relationship with this alleged Chinese spy uh, means that he can't, he can't be trusted with classified information or to be making decisions as it relates to our classified programs. He's compromised. He can't be trusted. And his judgment is just confirmed to be something that can't be trusted by any Democrat or Republican Democrats if they were being honest about it. And of course, Schiff abused his, chair, his role as chairman and then, um, you know, first chair, well, first as ranking minority member and then chairman uh, to target Trump with Russiagate lies, knowingly lie about what he was up to, uh, what evidence he had about Russia and just putting out false information to protect Hunter Biden, to protect Joe Biden and try to destroy Trump. If there was an insurrectionist in the House abusing power to overturn an election result, it was Adam Schiff. Let me suggest this. I often ask you to uh, uh, call Congress, call Capitol Hill, tell them to do this, tell them to do that. I suggest you call Capitol Hill and thank them for removing, uh, thank Kevin McCarthy for removing Schiff and Swalwell from the committees, uh, the Select Committee on Intelligence. And uh, if you agree with the removal of Omar, I think, as I said before, I would have removed her over these other ethics issues as opposed to arguing about his, her anti-Semitic comments. But, you know, I do understand why folks were concerned about it because as a, head of, as a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, she, as I said earlier, she gets to travel abroad and she's representing the United States. And if we don't like that and uh, reject that approach, that vicious anti-Semitism that she embraces, that vicious anti-Americanism that she braces, embraces, and her wink and nodding at and, and kind of defensive positions she's taken as it relates to uh, Islamist terrorism, you know, why would you want someone like that representing you abroad? So that was the theory of the Republicans. And, you know, I think it's mildly persuasive. I, I probably would have voted on that. Um, so I think I've reconsidered a little bit my objections initially to taking her off simply on those statements. You know, but my concern is she's on other committees, and I don't think she has the ethics to be in any position of trust on the House. So thank Speaker McCarthy. Thank your other members of Congress and ask them to expand the investigations into Ilan Omar ask them to expand the investigations that we've asked for, or ex at least initiate them. I mean, why don't they ask the questions about Schiff's mishandling of classified information or his uh, uh, shady relationships with witnesses in the impeachment matter, two complaints that we filed against Schiff. So thank them for doing the right thing, but remind them there's more to be done. 202-225-3121, that's 202-225. 3121. So I ask you, again, call your members of Congress, and you should just do this as a matter of course. If you like something they're doing, let them know. If you don't like there's some, something they're doing, let them know. And sometimes, always, or I should say, I would say, always let them know what, you, what else you want them to do. Because remember, they work for you, and it, you know, just because they do something good doesn't mean there's a lot more work to be done, especially with our government so out of control in terms of corruption and spending and such. So uh, before I go, there was some big news this week about my appearance at a federal courthouse. 
and folks were guessing that I was testifying to a grand jury and they were trying to figure out what was going on and everyone was all excited about that. And I don't have anything to say about that now other than I will say something about it, I think eventually. I think I'm going to be able to talk about it. And you're going to be very interested to know what happened at that courthouse and what our involvement was and what Judicial Watch's involvement was. So I can't talk about it now or I won't talk about it now, but I will talk about it soon. But I will caution you, don't believe everything you hear about uh, Judicial Watch in the media. And of course, the fact that I was at the courthouse has caused the, uh, the left media to go kind of crazy and the leftists online to go kind of crazy. Uh, but Judicial Watch isn't going away. I'm not going away. Don't you worry. We've got a lot of work to do. And I tell you, uh, you're going uh, gonna to be very much interested in what I have to say as to what went on at that courthouse uh, that, um, my, during my visit there uh, this week. So with that, I encourage you, and I certainly think you, I've incentivized you to come back here next time for the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.